Well, good morning. Good to see everyone. You are in for a treat today. I got some great news as we begin just to encourage you. The first one is you might have noticed a little bit of work in the courtyard. We're doing a little light dusting out there. Have you noticed that? Uh, or just tearing down all the walls and ruining everything. You have to deconstruct before you can reconstruct, right? So we've been tearing stuff down and that's going to be happening in three phases. The first phase is to be able to blow out those walls so it opens it all up so it doesn't bottleneck as we're coming in off the parking lot and that while standing in the lobby, you can look out into the courtyard. Also, on the other side, we're going to have a water feature on the wall so you can look out of the cafe and see something pretty out there. The other piece of phase one is that we're going to be raising up a larger portion of it so we can gather out there when the weather gets really good and then we're going to be putting in turf so the kids can play on something other than a boggy wet grassy area right so that's phase one we're going to be going through phase two and phase three which is about kids play areas and and a fire pit out there stuff like that everything is designed to try to get us together right everything is designed for us to spend more time with each other and that is only due to your kind generosity uh last year uh you gave some money towards it and it was awesome and then this year we took the same you were going to give the same amount of money and we went ahead and split that into two right so half of it went to the courtyard the other half of it went to the bless project so i just want to encourage you the bless project i'm going to be coming up next week with kind of a plan, right? Kind of a uh, layout of the year's theme on how we're going to go love on our neighbors right across the street. I'm going to come out with a big map and show you our ideas. But you gave just to pour the love of Jesus on our neighbors with no expectations, 35 grand that we can just pour out onto that neighborhood. How awesome is that? Yeah, can we appreciate that? Um, Also, a couple other things, uh, just an encouragement. Um, last year, y'all remember the paradise fires. Yeah. Um, people are still putting their lives back together and you gave over a hundred thousand dollars to get people back into their homes. Now, um, to some of those folks, they were in, you know, portable housing, right? When that went up in flames, they didn't have insurance. It just goes away. And now where do you live? So Uh, We have gone over this last year ministering to all these different people and trying to say what can we do Strategically to help you get back up on your feet So we are still in the process of meeting out and giving out those portions of money to the right areas But I wanted to just highlight out a card that just happened to fall on my desk the other day Just to remind you it says dear bridgeway church Thank you so much for your kind and generous donation of money gift cards and clothing to my family who was affected by the Paradise Campfire. Our family lost their home. Some of our family members lost their jobs. We truly, truly appreciate your kindness to us in this time of tragedy. You see, not only are we working in that way, just helping people that are are in a transition period, but there was a gentleman here who lost everything, and he had a little two-year-old daughter, and they didn't have anywhere to go. A family took them in here at Bridgeway, but they wanted to go back home. And we needed a safe place for that little one. So sure enough, the other day, I was out in the 
the lobby there talking to some people and a gentleman heard my voice and he said, can I just talk to Pastor Lance real quick? And I went down there and he said, I just want to hug you. And he just held on to me and cried and said, the way that your church has loved on us and cared for me and my daughter is extraordinary. So thank you everyone for the way that you're giving money. Yeah, amen. And then finally, just to highlight for you, once again, your generosity all flows in all the right areas, right? So all those baskets for Hume out there, Hume is a time for the kids to leave regular life behind and go have a date with Jesus, right? So Hume is an awesome place. Y'all have picked up on the idea that it's not what you're buying, it's that you're supporting kids. How do we know that? Because every single basket has at least more than the minimum bid. That means every single child that designed out a basket out there is getting some help in order to go to camp, and that is because of your generosity. So thank you very much. Make sure that we finish that up, all right? Praise God. All right, take out your handout sheet that was given to you at the front door, open up your app, and take out your Bibles. Let's do this. You have a crazy story for me to walk you through today. We are in part seven of our King series, and I entitled today's message, Extraordinary Evil. There's very few churches today that teach extraordinary evil, <laughs> so I'm glad that you're at Bridgeway, right? Uh, you guys have been doing such ordinary evil that I thought, we got to kick that up, right? We got to do some extraordinary evil. Uh, we're talking about King Ahab, one of the most evil kings of Israel's history, and his beautiful wife, Jezebel. And their extraordinarily messed up world, right? So we're going to be covering that. But I want to draw your attention to the fill in the blank, right? Uh, as, with a couple thoughts. Let me just say it this way. In a land where self is God, selfishness is the way of life. We have been taught by our society that looking out for ourselves is the right thing to do. All the most successful people do it. We need to maximize our lives. We need to build up our own things. We need to create our own kingdoms. It's our best life now, right? It's about I'm hashtag blessed, yeah? It's always about I'm doing great. But that's not the way of the Lord. I understand people put a lot of trappings on it. I'm just going to tell you that's not God's speed. How do we know that? Because of Philippians, Philippians chapter two, verse one says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from his love, any participation in the ministry of the Holy Spirit, any affection for others and sympathy, then complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. What's Paul's point? If you are a Christian, this next phrase is for you. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. It better be hashtag blessing others. You understand what I'm talking about? Not, uh, cool, you're blessed. That's great. What's going on with everybody else? If we're constantly promoting and going, man, we're doing awesome, we're doing awesome, what are we doing for everybody else? Because if they are supposed to be more important than we are, why are we spending so much time 
dialing in our perfect lives. That doesn't seem to be the way of Jesus. Selfishness is dangerous. As a matter of fact, the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you or your app is this. A life of selfishness leads to a life of wickedness. A life of selfishness leads to a life of wickedness. How do we know that? Because of the story today. You're about to learn of a man whom the Bible calls the most wicked king, right? And they've had a lot of bad people, and they're going to have a lot of bad people. And when you finish the story, here's what you're going to find out. The most wicked king of Israel was simply selfish. You're going to wait for all these big, dramatic, maybe he burned kids in the fire, and maybe he did. He was selfish, and that put him on a list that was apart from everybody else. How much have we allowed selfishness to creep into our lives and don't even realize the implications? Ah, that's what we're going to study. So what I need you to do is turn with me to 1 Kings 16. 1 Kings 16, verse 29. It's page 298 in the Bibles under the seat in front of you. That'll get you there a little bit faster. And just for all of you online, make sure to join us. Open up that app and grab your Bibles to be able to hang with us. I want to give you a little update on what's been happening in the north in our story. So if you remember, Israel was separated into two. There's the north versus the south. They operate very independent, had two different kings. This, we've been mostly focused on the south where we had some good guys. We've been talking about some really good leadership. And then they would have bad guys and good guys. They've been back and forth. But the north started out bad. They've been staying bad. And it's only getting worse. This is kind of how the north has gone. It kicked off with a guy named Jeroboam. He's the guy that created a whole new worship system. He created the two golden calves. He did all kinds of evil stuff, right? He kicks out all the priests and the Levites, makes them go down south. So we start off bad. He ends up putting his son into the throne two years into it. Another guy, a whole other family comes up, slaughters him, takes over the throne. We now have Israel being led by murderers. This new team is in for a while. He puts his son on the throne. A commander of the army comes in and wipes that guy out and sets up a whole nother throne. Then he's fighting with another commander of the army and they're going head to head. It is so soap opera-ish, right? The intrigue and betrayal and all this stuff, right? Okay, well, finally, this commander named Omri puts his son on the throne and his name is Ahab. And he marries Jezebel. This is where we begin our story. All right, you ready to go? I'll tell you, the drama in the story we're about to read is over the top. Here we go. 1 Kings sixteen twenty nine. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, we studied him already, Ahab, the son of Omri, began to reign over Israel. And Ahab reigned over Israel in the capital of the north, Samaria, for 22 years. How in the world did a wicked guy get to be in power for 22 years? Normally, that's a blessing thing from God. Why does this guy get to stay? How much damage can you do to a nation leading it for 22 years? Significant damage. Verse 30. And Ahab did evil in the sight of Yahweh the Lord more than all who were before him. 
And as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, he took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ephbaal, king of the Sidonians, and he went and served Baal and worshipped him. He erected an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which he built in Samaria. And Ahab also made an Asherah. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Go to chapter 17, verse 1. Now Elijah, that's the famous prophet, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall neither be dew nor rain for years except by my word. All right. Y'all need to know some history. Why? Because if we were reading this with a bunch of Jews, they would have been like, oh, dang. And y'all were like, I didn't get it. Okay, let me give you the little bit of history on this one. And then you're going to be like, oh, dang. Okay, great. We'll do that. Anyway, you don't have to say it out loud. Just say it in your head. Okay. Oh, dang. Yeah, thank you very much, Mike. Okay. Now, in order to understand the Old Testament fight with God. You have to understand who the other team is. Now, when Israel walked into the promised land, and we're talking about from Moses to Joshua, when they went in, the promised land used to be called what? Canaan. So everyone that lived there was a Canaanite. There you go. The Canaanite groups, although there was many of them, all bought into a mythological system of gods. Now, they weren't all identical, but pretty close. It was just like studying the mythology of the Greeks and the Romans. You know how you always read, Zeus was the big dog, and then they all fought, and they all did weird stuff. Same exact thing goes on. As a matter of fact, the more you study it, the more confusing it gets. I'll try to make it real easy. There was a basic nobody big dog named El. His right-hand man, the power guy, is named Baal. It looks like Baal, B-A-A-L, right? This guy is the fertility harvest rain god. He's like the one that is the most strong, so he was the practical leader of all the gods. Now, El had 70 kids. Some believe that Baal is one of them. And he did that with his sister wife. Yee. Now, Baal ends up taking some of them as his wives, which are his sisters slash mom slash do. Right? So everything about this is creepy. Let's try to set that aside for a moment. Baal takes three of them. And they're all basically for two reasons. War and sex, that's it. Now, Baal, being the fertility god and being the harvest god in an agricultural society, is everything. Remember, mythology tends to try to explain why things happen the way they do. When you're in agriculture, you go, why did we have a good harvest this year? Why are we not having any harvest during the winter? All these stories explain that. So here's how they explained it. Baal can beat up anybody except one dude. His name is Mott. 
Mott is the death figure, right? So what ends up happening is every winter they fight and he dies and he goes quiet for the winter. But then he ends up having sex with Asherah, one of his concubine consort wife ladies, mom, sisters, and ta-da, he's empowered and he comes back to life in the spring and there's a ton of harvest and that's how it goes. Now, the reason why I'm telling you this is that the way they felt that you worshipped Baal and Asherah is sexually. If you had sex in honor of their name, you would empower them even more and that would give you a better harvest. It's all about money and sex, the entire thing, right? Okay, now, because Baal is the rain god, the fertility god, he rides on the clouds and throws thunderbolts, because he's that guy, what Elijah just said is a big deal. What did he just say? No more rain. You think your guy's a big deal? He ain't nothing. I'm shutting him down right now, and you will have no rain because between me and God, we'll determine when rain happens. All right, that's when everyone's like, whoa, right? Because like, oh, that's like a showdown. Oh, dang. Okay, good. Well done. Now, this is what ends up happening. So he calls the rain off. It creates a drought. The drought creates a famine. So everything is terrible for years. The whole nation starts to suffer. King Ahab says, man, our animals are going to die if we can't find some grass for them. So he grabs his right-hand man, who's actually a good dude, says, you go that way and look for land. I'll go that way and look for land. While they're split up, Elijah, the famous prophet, comes up to Obadiah and says, dude, I need a meeting with your boss. And Obadiah's like, shoot, this never goes well. He hates you, right? (laughs) Now, it's... You have to understand the animosity between these two. It's the whole idea of why do we have such a massive prophet? Because we have such a massive bad guy. Elijah, who we're going to study for the next three weeks, is one of the most popular, powerful, crazy prophets of the entire Bible. And we're going to study all of those in detail. So I'm going to take all his pieces out of our story today, and we're going to focus on them in the coming weeks. All right? Now... He says, I need to meet your boss. And so they set up a meeting and this is what happens. Pick it up in 1 Kings 18, 17. Scoot a little bit forward there. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, oh, it's you, troubler of Israel. And Elijah said, I didn't trouble Israel. You did. And your father's house because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. It's time for a showdown. Now, it's one against 850. Are we all tracking on this? Now, the reason why we need to know all these other pieces is because Asherah was worshipped um, by trees, by they would plant trees in her honor. They would have wooden poles in her honor and they would set them up in the high places. And so whenever you see reform in Israel, they always use these phrases and they tore down the high places 
and they cut down the Asherah. That's what they're talking about. They're cleaning out this garbage because Ahab and Jezebel had made Baal worship the national religion. If you kick God out of his own country and make a whole nother God in charge, I think that's going to tick God off. So he's the one that said to Elijah, we need to handle this and go head to head. So now it is what? 850 to one. That story we will touch next week. All right, moving on, <laughs> moving on, right? Okay, quick spoiler alert, bad guys lose. All right, there you go, there you go. In case you were like, oh, what's gonna happen? Okay, bad guys lose. And when they lose, Elijah has all 850 slaughtered. Okay, now this is a pretty brutal part of the story. So how does Ahab feel about that? Here we go, pick it up in 19.1, 1 Kings 19.1. Ahab told Jezebel, his wife, all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more if I don't make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. And he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life. Okay, we'll talk about why he had this mountaintop experience and then all of a sudden she threatens him and he's freaked out. You're like, dude, you just called down fire from heaven. Why are you worried about this? You're going to find out Jezebel is a nasty character. All right. Ahab, wimp. Wife, brutal. Okay. And you're going to see this play out over and over and over. So God's going to deal with Elijah. Meanwhile... The Syrian nation surrounds with 32 other kings. All these 33 nations surround the north and storm in, and they're going to kill King Ahab and all the people. Uh-oh, now we're in trouble. And this is the weirdest part of the story. Here we go. He surrounds them, and he says, he gets on the phone, and he's like, <laughs> he said, uh, Ahab, we got you surrounded we're going to wipe you out. We're going to take your people's silver. We're going to take your people's gold. And we're going to take your children and the best of your wives, which I think is hilarious. Because if some guy's like, babe, you're good. Don't worry about that. They won't take you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what do you mean the best? Like, what does that even mean? Like, you're now rating system, right? You know, we'll take all the eights and above. We're going to go ahead and leave. What are you talking about? Right? Now, this is the funniest part about it, is he's on the phone with him, and he goes, and he goes, okay, why don't you go ahead and do that? And he's, so the guy on the other line, he's like, uh, okay, send him out. Like, I didn't think you would just go, okay, uh, send him out. And he's like, hold on, hold on, somebody's talking to me. What? Right? And Ahab's like, hold on, hold on. And everybody else's like, dude, the answer's no, right? No, not Yes. No, we're not sending all of our people out. What is wrong with you? Like, that's the stupidest answer I've ever heard. And he's like, oh, that's a great point. Okay, so the answer is no. Fine, we'll take them tomorrow. Okay, and then they're all angry. Okay, this guy is the worst leader ever. What do you mean, yes? Why would a king automatically just say, sure, you can have all our kids? Because he's selfish. He doesn't care. They're not his kids. He doesn't care about their silver and gold. He's got his stuff locked away. They're not going to take his wife. His wife is the queen. She's fine. 
he's completely cool as long as it's everyone else's problem and not his problem. Let's make this personal. Y'all, there are some of us that we're only concerned about stuff in society if it affects us, right? Oh man, I can't believe what's going on economically. Okay, that's because it affects your bank account. But all of a sudden we start talking about something that affects another group of people and there's no concern whatsoever. Well, I don't know those people. I don't hang with those people. That's got nothing to do with me. Whoa, 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 you're a Christian. You see, Christians should be concerned about injustice even if it doesn't affect you, right? Because we are to consider others more important than ourselves. Now, I totally get the idea of compassion fatigue. You guys, we live in a society bombarded by bad news, yeah? I mean, if you really cried over everything you saw on the news, you would never stop crying, right? And so, I understand that you can't always have a deep emotional feeling towards everything, but you better have concern, right? That you need to be able to say, whoa, 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 is something going on in our world, in our nation around, and I need to be concerned about it because those people are hurting. Those families are struggling. My family's fine, but that doesn't mean I'm not concerned. Of course I'm concerned. I'm a Christian, and I'm worried about injustice anywhere I see it. Amen? Okay, this guy just simply cannot do that. He doesn't care. One other thing I want to say is you're going to watch this guy constantly wimp out and go to his wife, and she does the nasty work. Okay, so real quick, I just want to uh, go after one thought, and, I, and I'm not trying to be mean, but I will be. But I, I'm not. I want to talk to those of you that have a bit more of a shy, laid-back personality those of you that are a bit more introverted. Why? Because a lot of times we in that personality get into this mode where we're like, man, everybody else is making bad decisions. You know what? My wife is doing this or my husband's doing this. Do you understand that not making a decision is still making a decision? Do you understand that abdicating your leadership and having everyone else do it is not okay? Do you understand that this whole idea that you want to blame people that made the decision is not right? Y'all, we kind of hide back. Some of us are like, I'll let my spouse do it. I'll let my spouse do it. I'll let my spouse do it. You're still accountable for what's going on in your home and in your marriage. You can't just bail out and blame everybody else, right? All right. Everyone's like, well, I'm already shy, so I'm not going to say Amen. Sure enough, they're going to get attacked. And this happens. A prophet shows up. 1 Kings 20, verse 13. And behold, a prophet came near to Ahab, king of Israel, and said, Thus say the Lord, Have you seen all this great multitude against you? The bad army. Behold, I will give it into your hand this day, and you shall know that I am Yahweh. Now, it's interesting because King Ahab says, well, how are we going to win? God goes, this is my strategy. And he's like, well, who needs to start the fight? And God says, you. Why? Why is God going to let bad, evil Ahab win the battle? Because it's not about Ahab right now. These other nations have come in and attacked Israel, God's chosen people. 
And even though Ahab won't be a good king and protect his people, God will. God says, I'm going to be the king that you're not. So I'm going to step in and defend my people and I'm going to show you how you need to be leading, right? And I'm going to try to work on your heart because they need a better king than what you're giving them right now. So I need you to start the fight because I need you to acknowledge I'm here. I want you in faith to go out and pick a fight with those people and all win it. I need you to put yourself in harm's way so that you understand my defensiveness and it didn't just happen, Mr. Passive. Does that make sense? All right. Now, a couple things that that reminds me of. God has to keep going through prophets to talk to this guy. Why? Because he can't go direct. He's not listening to him. Once again, I always want to encourage you as Bridgeway. The most important question we can be asking every day is what is God saying? If you're not listening, you're never going to hear. Well, I'm going to wait for someone else to, t- I'm going to wait for the church is going to tell me, I'm going to wait for somebody on the radio to tell me, I'm going to wait for some. God may be wanting to talk to you right now, but we're saying, well, I'm too busy or I'm not interested. I don't really believe that God's talking today or I don't, for whatever reason you shut off. Maybe this is a season to start listening again. Yeah. Cause God may have some ideas for you. All right. Sure enough, Israel marches out against them and they win. What? That's crazy. Amazing odds. Yeah, it's not over. They're going to come back next spring. Why? Because here's what the Syrians believed. Dude, we totally lost that fight. That's weird. Their God must be a God of the hills, not the God of flatland. What? That was their response. And God's like, what are you talking about? I'm a God of the hills. And they're like, well, well, we'll attack them next year and we'll fight on flat ground. Then we'll really win. Where did they get that idea? You see, they always wanted to determine what the gods did and what they were like based on their circumstances. Well, I guess we lost in the hills. I guess that we don't have a very strong hill god. What? And you look and you go, man, you guys are dumb. Hold on. We're doing the same thing. Why? We decide what God is like by our circumstances. Let me give you an example. I was talking with a brother this last weekend, going through some tough stuff. And he said, I'm really struggling with believing that God is good because of the things that have allowed to happen in my life. And I said, all right, here's how I see it. Theoretically, we're usually pretty good with theology, right? Like we want to know what God is like. And as long as it's a hypothetical We're all pretty good on that. So let's play a game together. Currently, what are the statistics of people dying in the world today? 100%. Okay, good. Good. Some of you got that one. All right. 100% of people die. Yeah? And so theoretically, you would go, everyone dies. But if someone dies next to you that you care about, we question God's goodness. Right? Well, God, why would you let this happen? He's like, because everyone dies? No, 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 but that one I loved. Oh, so that made it different. So theoretically, we go, God is good, people die, but not when it's personal. Our circumstances shift our theology, and we start thinking God's not nice anymore. Wait, if God was nice when your neighbor had a death in their family, 
God is still nice when you have a death in your family. Just because your circumstance changed didn't mean the nature of God changed. But we keep remaking our beliefs about God based on what's happening to us at the time. We can't do that. God either is what he is or he's not. And that's why it's so critical. I was telling my brother, I said, I said, buddy, I know you're struggling with whether God is good. God is the only good. I know right now everything bad had happened. The only reason worse stuff hasn't been happening constantly is God is restraining the hand of evil. Listen, I know it hurts. What I'm telling you is God is good all the time. Amen? Amen. All right, let's keep moving forward. So sure enough, they come back next spring. Here we go. Chapter 20, verse 26. In the spring, the Syrians went up to fight against Israel. And all the people of Israel were mustered and provisioned and went against them. The people of Israel encamped before them like two little flocks of goats. But the Syrians filled the entire countryside. And a man of God came near and said to Ahab, Thus says the Lord, because the Syrians said, The Lord is the God of the hills, but he's not the God of the valleys. I will give all this multitude into your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Okay, this is God taking it personal. Going, oh, what'd you say? I can't fight in the valley? Anyway, I'm going to destroy you, right? And here's what's crazy. So it says Israel fights, they kill 100,000 soldiers. This is the other part. And then God kills another 20,000 because a wall falls on them. Okay, hold on. I'm not great with math, but can we just talk about this for a second? How do you kill 20,000 with a wall? Oh, I'm falling into the wall. Oh, I'm falling under the wall. Oh, I'm falling. How many people can you fit under a wall? And at some point, shouldn't everybody be concerned about this falling wall? (laughs) 27,000 people are a lot of people to die under a wall, right? Okay, what's my point? My point is God has the most unorthodox ways of solving problems, right? And now I'm going to kill them all with a wall. Okay, couldn't we have done it another way? Yeah, but he always does stuff weird, right? And every time we pray for something, we're like, God, will you help me out? I have a plan, (laughs) right? You go from here, Lord, to here. It's a very natural progression. Then you go from here to here and my life will be fine. And God's like, yeah, that's a dumb plan. You know what I want to do is go all over here and here and here, right? Because he's constantly going, you don't understand what I'm doing. I got so many other things flying in the air supernaturally and spiritually and everything is happening. Trust me, I know how to get stuff done. And sometimes it needs to look like I did it, not you. Hmm. How many of us have to get into prayer a little different next time? God, just get it done however you know how to get it done. Lord, I got a plan and it looks awesome to me, but I'm kind of stupid. So can you go ahead and just do it your way? That would be awesome. Okay, praise the Lord. Okay. Well, sure enough, sure enough. They finally beat up all the bad guys and the king of the Syrians runs and hides. While they're hiding and they're surrounded, his buddies go, dude, the Israels aren't the brightest people in the world. So they're probably just going to let us go if we apologize. 
And the king's like, no way, that's not a thing, right? They're like, yeah, totally, watch this. Hey, little white flag, hey guys, sorry about that, that whole I was trying to slaughter you thing, sorry, my bad. (laughs) So uh, how about we just make a treaty and we're all good, yeah? And what does Ahab say? Yeah, sounds great to me. (laughs) And just lets him go. Well, he's coming back from the fight, and sure enough, what happens? A prophet comes up to him, and he's like, well, you know what? I can't skip this story. we got to get into this story. Hold on. This is awesome. Okay, one of the most bizarre prophet stories ever. So here it goes. This prophet is hanging out with his buddies and gets a word from God. And he says to one of the other prophets, dude, punch me in the face. And he's like... I'd rather not. I'm more of a lover than a fighter. (laughs) He's like, no, seriously, punch me in the face. And he's like, I'm not going to do that. And he's like, well, then a lion will eat you. (laughs) What? Whoa, that turned bad quick. (laughs) Right? Sure enough, the guy goes out the door. A lion mauls the guy and kills him. Turns to the other dude. Dude, punch me in the face. The other guy's sure. Bam! (laughs) Just nails him in the face. And he's like, oh, oh, look, I'm all wounded. Look, now I'm in a disguise. Okay, whatever, dude. He puts on an eye patch and he's all, all this. He gets in a disguise and waits by the road for the king to go by. And then he's like, hey, king, I'm a beat up soldier. And I was supposed to watch the bad guys, but I let him go and got in trouble for it. What do you think I should do? The king's like, you're weird. But anyway, uh, I think you should be in trouble, right? Like what? I don't even understand the question right? You should be in trouble. And he pulls off his disguise. No, it was you that let the bad guy go. How dare you? God's going to kill you. Okay. That was a lot of drama. (laughs) Couldn't you have just like sent a message? That would have been fantastic, right? Shouldn't have let the dude go. You're in trouble. That would have been great. No, punch me in the face. Eat someone with a lion. I mean, come on, right? All right. That's why I had to tell you the story. All right. So now Ahab knows he's in trouble. So he gets super sad. It says in chapter 20, verse 43, and the king of Israel went to his house vexed, that means angry, and sullen, which means he's sulking, and he comes to his capital. So here you got the guy going, oh, I'm so sad. God's always mad at me. I can't believe just because I let a guy go, now he's super mad at me. I thought that was a nice thing to do, right? And he's kind of going, hmm, and he's like, I need something to make me feel better. And he looks out the window, and there's a vineyard right next door. And he's like, I like wine. I like vineyards. And you're like, Pastor, is this going somewhere? Yes. (laughs) I love vineyards. Hey, guys, who owns that vineyard? I want to buy it. Uh, That guy's name is Naboth. You want us to check on it for you? Yes, please. Tell him I will either give him another vineyard or I'll buy it straight out. Okay, great. Hey, Naboth, do you want to sell your vineyard? Uh, no. And here's why. I don't know if you knew it, but we're in Israel. And in Israel, it's family land that has been passed from generation to generation. And if I sell it, my family does not have its family land. So the answer to that is no. They go back to the king. Uh, He said no. Oh, that's so sad. I really wanted a vineyard. First Kings 21.4. And Ahab went into his house vexed and sullen. Okay, we're vexed and sullen again. Come on, melancholy weirdo. Right? He's, and look at the, this is awesome. 
He was vexed and sullen because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him, for he said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he laid down on his bed and turned away his face and wouldn't eat any food. Oh, I can't. I can't eat right now. I didn't get my vineyard. What are we having for dinner? Oh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Is it soup? I love soup. No, I can't eat right now. You're like, come on, dude. But Jezebel, his wife, uh uh-oh, she comes in the room. She comes in and said, why is your spirit so upset that you're not eating? And he said, well, because I told that guy, Naboth, give me your vineyard for money. Or if you want, I'll give you another vineyard. And he's like, I'm not going to give you my vineyard. Jezebel's like, dude, you're the king of Israel. What's wrong with you? I'll handle it. Uh Uh-oh, now when Jezebel handles stuff, here we go. It would have been fine to just kill the dude. Nope. She writes letters in the king's names to all the surrounding region, gets all the leaders on board, and says, I want you to have a big party for this guy, make it super public, right in the middle of the party. I want you to accuse him of blasphemy against God, and I want you all to stone him to death publicly. Whoa, that's a little overkill. Well, sure enough, they do it. Boom, the guy's blood's everywhere on the ground. Why did she do it that way? Because she's an evil genius. Because think about it this way. If the king just takes the guy's land, it makes his polling rate go down, right? People are going to be like, dude, I can't believe you took that guy's land. But if he's a blasphemer, he deserved it. And the king should be able to take whatever land he wants to take. She secured it for the future. Brilliant, but evil. Interesting. Goes on. Elijah shows up. Ahab, what is wrong with you? You just killed an innocent man to take his vineyard. I'm going to tell you right now, this is what the Lord says. Dogs are going to eat your wife. Dogs are going to lick up your blood right where his blood went. I'm just letting you know right now. And God's going to cut off your entire family. Now, is that too rough? No. Why? Here's what the Bible says. There was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord like Ahab, whom Jezebel, his wife, incited. Pretty bad guy? Yeah. Then this happens. 1 Kings twenty-one twenty-seven. Ready? And when Ahab heard the words that Elijah said, he tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his flesh, fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about dejectedly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah saying, have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the disaster in his days, but in his son's days, I'll bring the disaster upon his house. What? You're going to let the psycho go? Come on. Dude, he does all this chaos and then decides to repent and you're all good with him now? Why in the world would God do that? The same reason he does it with all of us every day. You see, Ahab was the worst because he was selfish. You think any of us got a selfishness problem? You see, here's the deal. We always think of this extreme wickedness. Selfishness hurts people. Now, for some of us, we don't understand forgiveness at all. We're still really hard on ourselves and we're hard on other people. 
But because of the cross, everything is different. Let me tell you how. You see, I've been pretty open with you all these years about who I really am, right? I tell you as much as I can possibly tell you. I talk about my faults and my sins. I talk about the fact that I have habitual sin in my life as a pastor. I talk about my panic disorder and my weakness and stuff like that. And I've had people say throughout the years, Pastor, why do you do that? It makes you look bad, right? And I'm like, here's my response every time. I said, the reason why I'm so open with it is that stuff doesn't define me. I'm a child of God. And I said, here's the key. God has told me the bigger story. Some of us, when we have a message like this that's convicting, man, great, I go to church and the pastor's like, you're selfish, and then I have to go home. That's a drag, right? When you're convicting, when you feel convicted, you feel like dejected because that's the end of the story but it's not. Jesus made a different story. What's the different story? The different story is, are you selfish? Yes. Is it okay? No, but Jesus is working on it. Here's the rest of the story. You are a child of God, and whatever weaknesses are going on in your life, whatever, you're in process God is making you by the power of the Holy Spirit into the image of Jesus. And you can be open and authentic and transparent. Why? Because he's still working on you. Just saying I'm broken doesn't matter when you know he's making you whole. So we always hide and try to work on putting up a mask. I'm going to tell you, I'd much rather live where people aren't surprised right? I'd rather not have to hide a bunch of secrets and lies and all that stuff. I don't want to live like that. Amen. I just want to be who I am. Am I messed up? Yes, I am. But God already knew that. God has already worked on that. Jesus has already paid for that. And he's still perfecting that. And so whatever you need to share about your heart and connecting with other people, as long as it's appropriate for the environment, I just want you to be you. I want you to be able to say, because of what the Lord has done, because of his grace and his mercy, I can be honest about who I am and not let it crush me. Because that's not the end of my story. Jesus is the end of my story. Amen? Amen. Y'all, can I have the prayer team come on up here? You know the rest of the story, right? King Ahab gets hit by the random arrow and dies, and it says, while they're washing out his chariot, the blood runs down and the dogs lick it up. Everything was still held accountable. We're going to talk about Jezebel in a moment, but here's my question. Do monsters know they're monsters? Or do they just justify it? I don't think Ahab really thought he was all that evil. I think he just thought that he was looking out for himself. What did he really do that was bad? Jezebel did all the real bad stuff, right? He could passively just go through life. So what I want to do as we close out with a message like this is I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit does something that I can't do. And what that is, is I don't know the individual pieces that he's working with you on. Some of us need to be convicted. Some of us need to be encouraged. Some of us need to be strengthened. And I can't control that. So what I'm going to pray is that the Holy Spirit would walk this room and touch each one of you in the heart 
in a different way. Can you stand with me? I'm going to pray over you. The altar is going to be open when I say amen so that you can get some prayer about the things that you specifically wanted to talk to the Lord about. But I just want to pray over you as we close. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we are open to you right here, right now. Would you move in our midst in a beautiful way? Father, some of us need to be strengthened. God, would you bring all power and strength to them right now. Lord, some of us need to be encouraged that, Lord, we're still in process, that you're working on us. Father, would you just affirm our identity in you? Some of us, Lord, need to be convicted because we're just living for us. We don't have an eye on anybody else, whether quiet or loud, we're living in selfishness. Lord, would you convict our hearts and turn us into a new direction? God, I just pray that you would move in a mighty and powerful way. All of us have come to your house to get a touch from you. It is not enough to hear information, God. We need inspiration and transformation. So would you do what only you know how to do? We have come to your house to be blessed, to be touched, to be changed. So, Father, for each and every one of us that are struggling, would you begin to move in our lives? For each and every one of us that need a fresh view and a fresh perspective, would you begin to change our minds? Lord, for those of us that have heart issues of just emotion, would you begin to knit us back together? Father, we have a lot of hurting people, and we have a lot of vibrant, victorious people. May you do what the kingdom of God says is right and good. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Have a wonderful weekend. We'll see you next time.